0: I want you to think, just as I'm getting ready to speak, about the last moment that changed your life. The last time you had one of those life-changing moments. I want you to think about when that was. Um, Just to help you with that, um, we had news last night that there's a new baby, Jones. Andy and Holly had a baby, and uh, this is her, and uh, yep. That's right. Uh, The message was, just a quick note to say, baby has finally come after 60 hours of labor ending in an emergency C-section, but delighted to say she is healthy at 8 pounds 4, name to be argued about soon. (laughs) So that's why I'm referring to her as a her, rather than giving you a name, because they haven't given her one yet. But um, Holly was here only last Sunday, and uh, looking ready to have a baby. And uh, she has finally had a baby, so that's good news. So that, for them, will be a life-changing moment. Uh, it'll be different from today onwards. Uh, you could argue that um, life-changing moments are, are, are not these kind of earth-shattering events, but actually it's a series of tiny interconnected events. I suppose it's a London Marathon today, isn't it? Is that right? So some of you, thank you for being here, folks, instead of running. Because <laughs> some of you might have done. I know some of you are planning to and have done, but... Um, And the rest of you laughing are going, no, I'd never do a stupid thing like that. (laughs) But I guess if you're an elite athlete, an elite marathon runner perhaps, uh, life-changing events aren't necessarily uh, the things that happen just every now and then, but maybe those tiny incremental changes that you build in. Was it the sky cycling team? that were famous for those incremental changes that they built in um, around trying to get their elite performance athletes to to make tiny changes to the the shape of the pedal, or or more even minute than that, tiny changes to their diet, and all of those added together made them winners you notice I've not talked about any scandalous items that might otherwise make professional athletes winners, um, but just those positive ones um, that people can change, and you put all of those together, and maybe the life-changing event is that you win the event you are competing for. Is You've done a series of things. I think both of those are helpful today as we look at this particular topic of discipleship, which is what I'm talking about this morning. I've uh, just been reflecting, as I was thinking about this, that for Judith and I, this is It's an interesting year this year. It's one of those years where you look back at the the kind of life-changing events that have happened in the past. And uh, they seem to be all becoming uh, this year as a time of celebration. So our youngest son, Nat, is 18. Uh, Our eldest son is 21 and is getting married this year. Judith and I have been married for 25 years this year. And uh, we've been here, we will have been here for 10 years this year. So it's interesting how kind of these, you've got these markers and you just go, wow, that's interesting. Could never have plotted or planned that. It just happens that way. And so we're kind of celebrating this year, a year of quite big dates. As a church, it's our 90th birthday this year. And uh, none of us were around to see that. Um, But it's one of those years where there's a lot of different dates that we personally as a family can be thinking of and celebrating. Each one of those for us was a life-changing moment. Each one of those altered the trajectory and direction of our lives in a certain way and brought change to us that we've never been the same since as a result of. And I want to talk about those today being moments that we have. I've talked about life-changing moments. So I'm going to talk a little bit about moments, those one-off occasions where we get that moment that something happens. But moments are great, but they're often... Momentary. Uh, And so, what I also want to talk about today is those moments becoming movement uh, and how the moment becomes movement. And when you've got Jesus in the center of it in the context of community and relationships, specifically, like Rob was talking last week, great word last week about community. Listen online if you've not heard it yet. But we've got from that moment with God to the movement that we have. That's what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship. We're going to see a little bit more about that uh, from the Bible as we share together today. I want to speak about discipleship and how God uses moments and movement in relationship to help us follow Jesus. Many of us here in this room will have at some point in our lives said yes to Jesus. We'll be counting ourselves amongst the number of people who say, I'm following Jesus. I'm a disciple. I'm one of his. Some of us may not have done, but many of us will have done. For some of us, that will have come through a crisis of faith. There will have been a day where you weren't a Christian, and then there will have been a day after an event, a moment, when you were a Christian, and there will have been a coming together of something so spectacular and momentous that you went, today's the day, everything changes. And you can look back on the date. Some of you can give the date you, you know the time, the place, the venue, you know what you were thinking, what you were wearing, what you were doing. And you remember the moment when you came to Christ and everything changed. Others can't remember that moment in the same way, but, but looking back, life looks different then to how it is now. And there was a series of those moments that you can't distinguish all of them, but you know there are a lot put together. And each of them incrementally have brought you to a place, through a place, an experience of movement to where you are today as a follower of Jesus. Both are okay. Both are biblical. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who had a moment with God when he was about to go and persecute some Christians and God met with him and called out and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There was a moment where everything changed. Saul was blinded and needed someone to pray for him, for his sight to be restored, and and life was different afterwards. But I read about the disciples who we're going to see in just a moment, and, and they spent three years with Jesus, and there were clear moments where he called them, but there were also three years of dawning realization as to who he was. And even at the end of that three years, they still hadn't got it. So be encouraged. If you're looking at other people and you think, oh, I wish I had one of those amazing stories where it was black and white, night and day, where where it was a transition suddenly, uh, and I'm just plodding and I still don't feel like I've got where I need to be, you're one of the 12 in that case. Because they were in just the same situation. So let's have a look at some scripture together. Discipleship is what we're talking about. So, firstly, I've got two very, very well known passages today, by the way. So, this is the first one. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. What I'd like us to do is hold that thought in our minds, that image of Jesus walking beside the sea and calling two brothers. Just get that in your mind. Some of you are more pictorial, some are more based on the words that you're hearing or reading. Have that image. And then we're going to go forward a few years. We're going to arrive at this point. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority In heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Today, I'm going to try, in the few minutes I've got, to speak about the beginning invitation, the end sending, and the stuff that happens in the middle, and talk about why discipleship is important for us as a community of people, why it matters and why it's part of who God's called us to be today. I want us to go back to that first moment and that picture you've created in your mind of whatever it looked like for Jesus to be walking beside the sea and seeing a boat and calling those two brothers. Come, follow me, he said. Now, you may not be able to see in detail the picture because it's got uh, calligraphy on the text, um, but some of you will recognize this because you've got one at home. This is the invitation to Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. So some of you, y- you got it? Yeah? Um, there's, there's a few hundred printed. There's bound Royal Tunbridge Wells. Come on, somebody here will have one. Surely. There's a few hundred people been invited into the ceremony, apparently. I haven't got mine with me, so I'm, I'm just borrowing this picture. Um, It says St. George's Chapel, Windsor Castle, Uh, Saturday the 15th of May, is it 19th of May? I can't quite read that, Um, 12 noon, so there we go. Uh, So there's a few hundred people invited into the ceremony, the service, but the news has been quite intrigued that about 2,500 people have been invited into the grounds of Windsor Castle, individually invited, so this is members of Joe Public, they don't get to go and see the wedding, but they get to see the party arrive, and they get to wait around for a bit, And they get to see the party leave and say, we were in the grounds of Windsor Castle for the wedding. I guess that's very special for people. Uh, But even these invitations that go out to two and a half thousand people will be personal invitations. They're not just going to the street corners like Jesus tells in one of his parables, go and get anybody and bring them in. They're inviting specific people just to stand in the grounds of the castle while there's a wedding going on. Jesus specifically invites the those who were going to be his disciples to follow him. It's a specific personal invitation, not general to, to the whole crowd at that point, but he looks at these guys with their boat and he says, will you come and follow me? It's personal. He's inviting them to come and walk with him, alongside him, to be with him, to be in relationship with him and journey with him through life. That invitation is personal. It's to be with Jesus, but it's not based on how good they are. It's not based on how clever they are or their experiences. It's not based on their background, political or social, rich or poor. It's not based on any of those sort of things. And in fact, Jesus' group of disciples, who's bigger than the 12, because there are others who attach themselves to this 12 and walk around with them, cover so many different groups of people. He's got different political parties represented. He's got male and female represented. There's all sorts of folk who we see journeying with Jesus who become these followers who aren't part of the 12 and they join in to this this gang. On the Emmaus Road after the resurrection, there's two people walking along. We know the name of one of them. And they're disciples of Jesus, yet they're not part of the 12. Cleopas is one of them. We read of people like Joseph of Arimathea who gives up a tomb for Jesus' body to be placed. in. we read of Zacchaeus who climbs up a tree and invites Jesus to his house and says, half of all I possess I'll give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay them back. We read of the Samaritan woman who preached to her community about Jesus. All of these people, disciples, followers of Jesus, but not part of the 12 apostles. But they're invited still to come and be part of Jesus' gang they all receive a life-changing invitation. This invitation from Harry, Meghan, or whoever it's from, it might be, it says that Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, I think is doing the inviting. Oh, there we go, it's from Charles. So he's doing the inviting. Uh, that, if you get that invitation on your doormat, um, I'm sorry it should have already come if it hasn't arrived yet in the post, but if you get it on your doormat, it, it wouldn't change your life. It would change your week. It would change a month as you had bragging rights with your friends to tell them where you were going or where you'd been. It would change your shopping habits as you bought a new outfit to wear. But it's not going to change your life, probably. It's a one-off occasion. But Jesus' invitation is a life-changing one. It's to a life that will never be different. It's to the start of a relationship with him that will completely transform the trajectory of someone's life. That's what Jesus is inviting us to and inviting them to, to see things that we've never seen before, to do things we thought were impossible, to hear things which blow our minds and to be with him. That invitation from Jesus to follow him is an amazing one. You know, when you're listening or when you're following somebody, you can do things you never thought were possible. I'm going to show you in just a moment. When you're following someone else, you can do things you never thought were possible. So here is an example. This isn't a video, unfortunately. This is a Paralympics uh, event, or not Paralympics. Sorry, uh, it's a, an athletics event with disabled athletes competing. I don't think it's the Olympics. And here is a woman who's about to do the long jump, but she's blind or visually impaired. Eyes are cover, uh, covered over to make this a fair event. And so the event is set up so that somebody. Uh, Her helper stands at the jump board and calls to her. And she sets off running. All she's got is the sound of someone's voice. The crowd hopefully aren't too loud at this point, too vocal. There are occasions, I have watched one video in preparation for today, where the crowd were a bit too vocal and the person ended up missing the cue and jumping in the wrong place, and it was very painful. Um, but on this occasion, I think it was going to go okay. So the guy stands there a- and calls out, and the athlete runs towards the helper. Now, you're wondering how, what happens, because surely if she's running towards him, there's going to be a a crash in a minute. But on the videos, you can watch, and just before the athlete gets there, they move out of the way. And they move out of the way, and the athlete has to jump, not being able to see where they are or what they're jumping onto and as far as they can. Now, they're only able to do that because somebody is there calling to them, and they're following the sound of their voice. And together, they're able to do more than the athlete would have done it on their own, and, and us following Jesus, us listening to the sound of his voice and, and, and responding to his prompts enables us to do more than we ever could on our own. We never could do the things that, that we can do with Jesus, and the disciples did stuff that was ridiculous, amazing, incredible, mind-blowing, and they never could have done it on their own. When we follow Jesus, our lives are changed. He, the Bible says this in John chapter 1. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's amazing. That's a life-changing verse. So, simple question at this stage, <laughs> what I want to share this morning. Have you said yes to Jesus and yes to start journeying with him? If you have, if you haven't, then you can today. If you have, how's it going? How's the journey going? Are you sensing progress from the day you said yes to now? Or is it a fond memory of the day you said yes? That you've, you've printed up a certificate of the day and it's framed. And every now and then we can look back at it and go, yep, on that day, we just carry on with life. I don't think there's anybody in the room that's doing that. None of us want to live that kind of life where it's just a marker, just a moment. We want to be responding to the call of Jesus. He says, come on, this way, this way, this way. Uh, We want to leap when he tells us to, even if it feels a bit scary. next thing I want to see is that Jesus is inviting the disciples in this passage when he says, come, follow me. He's inviting them into a relationship with him. If that starting point is a moment, he invites them to a movement with him, this journey with him. It's how Jesus makes disciples: is relationship. Now, there's a very, very famous verse. I'm using only famous verses, I think, today. Um, I'm not trying to be obscure or clever; just presenting a simple truth about discipleship. But I want you to look at this one: John 3:16. This is the one that, if you go to football matches, people often used to have banners with John 3:16 on, and athletics events, that sort of thing. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so the basic concept is God loves world, so he gives son. World has lots of people in it. Current count, seven billion-ish people. It's quite a few people. What did Jesus do with his life on earth? How many of the world's population at the time did he reach? If God so loved the world that much, wouldn't he come and tell them? You've heard that, haven't you? When people say, well, if I, I just want God to show up. I want God to turn up in my life. It's all right, Jesus coming back then, but I want him to come in my life. I want him to turn up, and if he did, I'd, I'd believe in him. And of course, Jesus did come, and God has turned up. But Jesus actually chose to invest his life in 12 people, predominantly. And his world-shaking, life-changing plan was to invite Twelve people into relationship with him and invest in them. That they might be changed and that through them the world might be changed too. Jesus wanted to change the world and so he invested in twelve and invited them into relationship. And I want you to think for a moment about the kind of relationship that they had. So the disciples saw Jesus when he was angry the disciples saw Jesus when he was tired, when he was hungry, when he was happy, when he was excited. The disciples got to walk alongside Jesus. This wasn't what we're doing now, where someone stands on a stage and talks and people listen and there's kind of not so much participation going on. But, but they, Jesus invited them to journey through life with him, to be with him, to be part of his gang, to hang out together, to spend time together, to build a daily relationship with. You know, they ate so many meals together. Wouldn't you love to be there? When, when you read the pages of the Gospels, aren't there some stories you'd love to have been in? Some of, you would have loved to, some of us would have been loved to have been at, at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Because we'd have loved to have seen Lazarus emerging and the grave clothes being unwrapped and seen this dead body alive. Some would have loved to have seen uh, people who've been uh, demon-possessed being set free or being leprous being healed. <laughs> I would have loved to have hung out with Jesus at some of the meals. And it's not just because I enjoy food. It's because I would have loved to have caught up with a conversation. And you love having a good meal and conversation with friends. And you, the conversation's flowing and they're chatting. And, and as Jesus is there with them, they're, they're doing life. They're being real together. As they're sharing together, the, the conversations are open and flowing. And to the point that the disciples are arguing in front of Jesus quite often. They don't hold back. This is not them on their best behavior. Jesus sees their best and their worst. He sees all that there is of them. In fact, he calls it out, calls them up on it sometimes. There was a program years ago that was on TV, very popular. At its peak, 25 million people watched this TV program. More regularly, 21 million used to watch it. It was known as the Generation Game. And there's a revival of it now, apparently. Apparently five million people tuned in uh, to the new one that's on. There's a few more channels to watch, I guess. It was a truly awful show. (laughs) But one of those kind of car crash TV shows that you have to watch because it's so terrible. And the basic premise is that you've got an expert who does a few things. Um, Shows you how to dance or spin plates or do something. Uh, and then as an amateur, you have to copy and, and try and have a go. And it's funny because no one's any good and plates go flying and, and the events don't work as they should. And everyone goes, ha, oh, ha, ha, isn't it funny? And just occasionally someone's quite good. But the whole idea is that you've got the brilliant professionals showing the the people, the people, novices who've never done it before. And some of us can think that discipleship's a bit like that, that we've got the professional who's there for a moment tells us what to do uh, and we try and copy and then they go away again And, and it's not like that Jesus is with the disciples again and again and they're following him and imitating him but they don't just get one hit and then he's gone he spends time with them months and years with them as as he walks them through what it means to try and fail and try again and fail again and try again and he helps them and he carries them through and Jesus done it, does it in a context of relationship, but it's also in a context of challenge and conflict. Do you know I've come to realize as I've walked with Jesus more and more that conflict's not something to be avoided. It's to be embraced. You know, Most of us, like conf- most of us are conflict-averse. If, if there's a fight to be had, we'll rather go the other way. If there's a, an argument to be had, we'd rather avoid it. If there's a challenge coming, we'd rather just, it, it goes away. But actually, Jesus allows conflict and challenge to be right at the heart of how he raises up those disciples. Right at the heart of it is this constant conflict and challenge. Encouragement, challenge, encouragement, challenge, encouragement, challenge. And there's time after time after time when, when the disciples, like they think they're doing the right thing. And Jesus says, oh, you what have you done now? And he's really harsh with them. But it's a relationship of love and challenge where it's not comfortable. I've got a quote I'm going to skip over. He encourages them to love one another. He says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So a quick question. As we're thinking about how Jesus invites us to community with him, but also community with other people. How's it going? Who are we allowing into our lives to speak to us in the way that Jesus would? Simple question. The reason for asking it is because Jesus doesn't just invite the disciples individually to come and walk with him one by one. And I think in our Western culture, often we view it like that, that I've got a one-to-one relationship with Jesus, that it's me and Jesus. I've got Jesus living in my heart. He's my Savior. He's my King. He's my Lord. And all of those things are true. But he invites them into discipleship in the context of community. He invites them as a group. And part of the learning is that this person over here is really irritating. And I've got to love them and get on with them as I'm following Jesus. And this person over here finds me really irritating and somehow we've got to follow Jesus together. And there's this environment of shared learning as the disciples are walking together. Discipleship only walks in, works in community. So let me go back to my question. How's it going? Who's speaking into our lives and pointing us to Jesus? Who are we allowing into our lives to, to say the tough thing when we need it? Who are we allowing into our lives to say the encouraging thing when we need it? Or are our relationships quite surface? Are we just looking after ourselves? I hope we're not. But you know what? We get busy, don't we? No? Don't you get busy? No, I can sometimes. And relationships can can end up being casual and Uh, And we're going to have lunch in a bit, and it will be lovely, and we'll spend time together. But for discipleship to work, for people to have an impact in our lives, for people to point us more to Jesus, the relationships have to go a bit deeper. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Finally, passing it on, this sense of going and making disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. Two different Bible versions I'm using here. The early church grew for all sorts of reasons. It grew from a huddle of people into a world-changing movement for all sorts of reasons. Some were sociological. The early church offered care and love to people. Offered education and provision. That was needed. Some of the reasons were cultural because it was a diverse community and it was able to spread across a diverse, comparatively diverse, environment. Some of them were political because of the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, that would enabled people to travel around the known world at the time. Without too much risk until you went outside of the Roman Empire. Boundaries. Some were spiritual. They were a group of people empowered by the Holy Spirit. But some of them, the reason that the church grew was personal and was around discipleship was that they committed not only to following Jesus themselves, but to raising others up too who were also disciples. And if I'm honest, this is a scripture that challenges me more than most. This is the kind of scripture that we read and we say, right folks, go and make disciples. And we all go, yeah, we know that Jesus told us to do it. And we haven't got the first clue of what to do next. And I put myself in that category quite often. But I think this is absolutely genius, absolutely wonderful. And, and I don't want us to m- read this scripture, and as we may have done for years before, read it and hurry on, hoping that it goes away next time we look, because we feel like we don't measure up. But there's some simple things I think we can do to help us start fulfilling this scripture. Number one, choose to invest our lives in others. It starts with a choice. Jesus made a choice. He didn't arrive with disciples around him that had given up everything to follow him by accident. It happened because he made a choice and he said, follow me. Now, you may not want to wander around town or your workplace or your family and say, follow me. Give up everything you've got to follow me. That probably isn't going to work today because you're not Jesus. But what can happen is that we can choose to invest our lives in others. We can choose to pour ourselves into other people. Secondly, start inviting. When was the last time we invited someone to something? It may have been just this week. You've had someone around for a meal or you've been out for coffee or you've been to watch a film or you've done something social. Start inviting. Get people into your life. Start inviting people to journey with you and join with you to do something with you with us we can do this very simply and notice that I'm not saying wait for someone to invite you because it may be that you're lonely and your immediate thought is nobody ever invites me that wasn't what I said what I said was start inviting people start doing the positive and you'll find miraculously that as you invite enough people somebody will say yes You might happen to start with all the busy people who have no time whatsoever in their diary. That's okay. Don't be put off. Just keep inviting. But keep asking. Jesus did. He invited people into his life. Thirdly, be real. When you're actually with people, when we're with people and spending time with them, be honest and be real. Share life with them. The ups and the downs. And I want to tell us, I want to just share something I learned recently about how we can do this that I find profound. There's four words on the screen, good, deep, God, Jesus. And the person who was talking to us, there was an event with James and, and Rob and Alan. A few of us had gone up to something called Life in the Spirit. of the conference we were at, and a lady called Tanya Walker was talking. And she was from the, something in Oxford to do with apologetics, Oxford Centre for Apologetics or something like that, part of Ravi Zacharias' group, who's a, a, a global speaker. Um, you may or may not have heard of him. But she was talking about a very simple way of actually having proper conversations with people. That we don't know how to do the Great Commission. That we don't know how to fulfill Jesus' mandate and mission to go and make disciples. And she said it's because we we don't build proper relationships. We don't have proper conversations. But here's a great way of doing it. So her encouragement to us was to start having good conversations. A good conversation is one where you don't just go, oh, it's nice and sunny today. Oh, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I got a bit burnt in the garden yesterday. Bye. That's not a good conversation. That's just passing the time of day. A good conversation is one where you begin to relate to people properly. Begin to share. And, you know, chatting a bit more openly. Chatting, the kind of conversation's flowing. You're connecting. There's something going on. And, and it's beyond just the, hello, nice to see you, how are you, and you've moved on. But you're beginning to kind of, there's, there's new thoughts coming in, new ideas, and you're beginning to, the conversation's flowing f- freely. She said then the next thing to do, to build relationships and to be able to, ha- be able to share Jesus with people is to have deep conversations. So once you've got to the level of having good conversations and it, it's beyond just that very surface level, try and have a deep conversation. Ask someone a meaningful question that you genuinely care about. Like if you're talking about something, uh, the, a situation or a circumstance or someone's talking about an illness or something, genuinely, if you've got any compassion, we could say something like, well, how did that make you feel? And suddenly, you've gone from a, an incident and a, an occasion to a feeling and an emotion and a, you're making a connection with somebody and they know that you care. I'm, this is basic stuff on how to make friends with people. And I'm sitting there going, oh, that's quite a good idea. I should try this sometime. So we can go from good conversations to deep conversations where they're meaningful and we're sharing our lives. And then maybe we'll get the privilege of talking about God in that conversation to encourage people with something that God's doing in our lives. And people will have questions as we're sharing deep conversations that were good conversations. And we've got Real relationship. This isn't just a a journey to get someone to a destination and we move on and dump them. This is about doing what Jesus did and pouring our lives into people because we care for them. And then finally, as we've had good conversations, God conversations, because we've had deep conversations, we need to talk about Jesus because it's only Jesus that saves. And I was sitting there in this meeting thinking, do you know what? That's probably the most profound message I've heard on discipleship and on sharing the good news of Jesus ever. Good, deep, God, Jesus. I can remember that. I've only got a little brain. Four words, I can cope with that. Good, deep, God, Jesus. So maybe we can begin having conversations that are good. That people go away from them going, that was a good conversation. I'm glad I spoke to Stuart or whoever it is. Put your own name in. And then we can have deep conversations. Then we can have God conversations. Then we can have Jesus conversations. My challenge as I preach to myself today And it's a challenge I want to share. Is this, who am I personally inviting into my life in a way that's good? In a way that's deep? In a way that has God at the center and in a way that points to Jesus? Who am I inviting into my life day after day after day that's good, deep, has God at the center and points to Jesus? You see, I love hearing stories of God at work. I love it. When as a church, family and community, I'm I'm wandering about and people are talking about what God's been doing and how I watch how people connect together and relationships are formed and God's in the middle of it. I love it. I love watching it. We've got the potential to change other people's lives and be changed ourselves in the process. We've got the potential to take the message of Jesus to a community in Tunbridge Wells that needs him. I love it. It's exciting. But we're not going to do it through events. And we're not going to do it through um, just rolling out a program. We're only going to do it one-to-one with people at some level. They might be, Those conversations might happen at an event, and they might happen at a program. So it's not an either-or. But eventually, ultimately, somebody's going to have to talk to somebody and say, Hey, I care about you enough to share my life with you. Would you walk with me? Would you journey with me? My challenge as I'm preaching to myself is I probably don't have enough people that I'm doing that with. And I probably don't have enough people speaking into my life to say, Stuart, this is where Jesus is pointing you to go. So I encourage you, let's live open lives where we're open to people challenging us and discipling us. And we're open to doing it for others as we walk alongside one another and we say, Jesus is calling us this way. Like the guy on the track going, come on, come on. And then we can jump and see how far we make it. Let's pray, shall we? I'm mindful as I pray that we are not superstars. Mindful as I pray that as ever we talk about following Jesus or leading others to follow him, immediately there's a nagging voice in our minds that tells us that we're not good enough, that people aren't interested, that we tried before and it didn't work, that we're not worthy, that there's that sin that we did that disqualifies us. And I want to address that as I pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you that you didn't call superstars to follow you. From the beginning of time, you haven't called superstars. And Jesus, when you called the disciples to follow you, they weren't superstars either. They were a messed up bunch of people. And they stayed a bit messed up all through their lives because they were people just like us. And Lord, I pray you'd forgive us for looking at the megastars that we see today and measuring ourselves against them. Lord, we don't really know their story. We only know ours. And we know that ours has flaws and faults and failings in it, but I thank you that you use people such as us time and time again. And I thank you, Lord, that today you're calling us to be your disciples. You're calling us to follow hard after you. You're inviting us into a relationship with you, which changes our lives. You're inviting us to have a moment with God again and again and again that results in that movement away from where we were into a new relationship of walking with you. And Father, I pray that we would not only do that for ourselves, but be able to do it for others. That we would invite people to join with us as we have good conversations, as we share our lives together. May we be pointing people to you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that if we've lived lives that have been so busy, that they've had no time to to take other people along with us, that you'd help us find space and pause. You'd help us find a, a moment to reflect on what we're doing. And just open ourselves up to the scary possibility that you want to pour out the bit you've given to us into those around us. Lord, it's scary because sometimes we don't feel we've received much. But I thank you that you have actually given much. And we can begin pouring it into those around us. Lord, may people see Jesus more because of us. And may we be more open to the voice of friends encouraging us, challenging us, and pointing us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.